0: Hello and welcome to the New Statesman Podcast. I'm Caroline Crampton, the New Statesman's web editor, and every week the team and I bring you an exciting mix of interviews, discussion and analysis. This week, our political editor Raphael Baer and I discuss fracking, the Tories' demographic problems and Labour's summer snooze. Philip Morn and Alex Hearn talk about online bullying and the social network Ask.fm. And we interview Kieran Gillen, author of Marvel's Young Avengers and many other comics. by our political editor, Raphael Baer, who's going to take us through some of the politics that's been happening recently. Now, Raphael, you wrote your column this week in the magazine about fracking, this sort of fracking protest that's going on.
2: Yes, I um, actually went down. You say we talk about some of the politics that's been going on. Part of the problem is there hasn't actually been a a lot of politics on because it's it's, it's August. Um, So I went down to Balcombe in West Sussex, which is the village um, where... Uh, a site has been identified as, as potentially lucrative for fracking, fracking being the business of pumping, watering chemicals mm-hmm. deep underground to smash open layers of rock and thereby release natural gas. Um, uh, George Osborne in particular is persuaded that this uh, will give us a huge economic boom a few years down the line and will be the new Saudi Arabia or something, um, but with worse weather. Uh, and the people of Balkan really don't want this in their backyard and they've been joined by a sort of itinerant uh, eco full-time eco-protesters uh, mm. and it's a very strange alliance, sort of two tribes very, very different, you're essentially quite um, posh, retired West Sussex villagers uh, in their Land Rovers and their Audis and uh, tattooed, tie-dye sort of young men and women in their VW camper vans uh, and their tents and it was very interesting um, and the, the point I was making from the column, in the column actually was less about what whether fracking is a good idea or not, there's evidence you can deploy either way, but that it is very revealing that there is a certain demographic, essentially well-to-do, comfortable people in the Tory heartland who are a substantial obstacle to what particularly George Osborne, but to an extent also David Cameron want to do, uh, in terms of pushing the economy forward by building, building houses, essentially concreting over bits of the countryside, sending the signal that Britain is on the move, cranes on the, mm. on the horizon, sort of asphalt, you know, smell of asphalt in the air. And uh, the the danger is that essentially... Uh, the Tories will appear to be on the side of a very small group of people who sort of skipped the recession, still feel quite comfortable. Uh, normal services resumed for them. Normal service was never really interrupted for them. And a lot of other people will feel priced out of ever being Tories.
0: How significant a number are these people? You say it's quite small. Uh, why couldn't say Cameron Osborne just turn their backs on them and say you know we're not we're not your Conservative Party anymore.
2: Well um, you're right I mean statistically it's a very small group of people and there aren't and it's quite a small number of seats I mean it's it's the bulk of the the Conservative presence in Parliament Um, and you I wouldn't want to overstate it obviously there are there are many Tories who aren't sort of rich retired old colonels um, (laughs) living uh, sitting in their conservatories in the Kentish countryside or wherever but The 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 point I was making, I suppose, and what some sort of moderate, sensible Tories have said to me recently is that their party's voice has been captured. So Mm. although numerically it's not a large group of people... The sense of what it means to be a Tory has drifted away from the kind of thrusting young entrepreneurial arch Thatcherite vision that you had in the eighties. People who maybe have come from working class backgrounds, uh, maybe you know, their parents or they bought the council house and sort of made good, as it were, and it's gone right back to a sense of people. Uh, what one uh, senior Conservative said to me recently of. You know, the, the problem they have with the Daily Telegraph of seeing its mission as comforting the comfortable, as sort of cosseting a group of people who are all right, Jack, mm. and don't really want change of any kind. And the, the poli- whole political proposition at next election is, is clearly going to be something has to change.
0: And that's a very interesting point, because in order for the Tories to have any chance of winning a majority next election, they have to reach out beyond these sort of people, they have to they have to do better than they're doing. Yeah, they,
2: they, essentially they have to recruit a new gener- whole new generation of Tories. And, and the interesting thing is uh, there is some polling evidence that young people are quite Tory, or they're certainly quite Cameroon in their outlook. They're this socially liberal. Generation
0: Y, I yeah, think, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're
2: socially liberal. Uh, they're completely relaxed about things like gay marriage. Uh, they don't obsess about... Um, some of the the, windmills and, and, you know, desecration of the countryside.
0: They're not NIMBY. No, No. exactly.
2: Um, And they want somewhere to live. They want, you know, they're they're being priced out of the house market. Because they don't have any backyard (laughs) to, yeah. Exactly. Um, And they are quite individualistic and they don't necessarily automatically adhere to a kind of orthodox social democrat view of welfare spending, for example. Um, they don't just think it. You know, the state should pay for things without having to sort of give a firmer account of itself. That's a bit of a challenge to to Labour. Um, so, but they're not self-identifying as Tories. They're not. They're definitely not joining the Conservative Party. You know, the Conservative Party. They don't. They're very secretive about their membership numbers. But it's thought to be around sort of maximum one hundred and seventy thousand, when it was sort of you know well into beyond a million mm. um, two generations ago. Um, And the average age of a Conservative member is 68. And a lot of those people are eyeing up UKIP. So, you know, it's a big problem for them.
0: We're we're in a political period at the moment, very, very quiet, not a lot happening. So this idea of voice and sort of prevailing wind becomes even more important, doesn't it? And one of the things that's been said a lot is where's Labour? What's Labour up to this summer?
2: yes um I'm partially responsible for that because I <laughs> at the beginning of the summer, I wrote a blog saying, yeah you know, it looks like it looked as if labour had sort of slumped lethargically onto their sun lounge at the end of a slightly exhausting parliamentary term um in fairness, actually in the last week they've got off the sun lounger and, and come out fighting mm. a little bit. They've had a lot of stuff, uh, quite good, some good hits on the, um, the cost of living and making the point that uh, ego, glimmers of economic recovery aren't much use if the pound in your pocket isn't going any further than it was before. And in fact, it, your wages are shrinking. Uh, but the problem is, well, there are two problems, really. One yes, you do get this sense that once the the wind starts blowing in one direction through the media, it doesn't turn for a while. And so as soon as yeah. uh, a few people start saying, "Oh, well, Labour all very quiet," whereas the Tories have really got their you know their mojo on and they're all over the radio, then that becomes you know, it's a uppercase of the story, uh, and it, it, you sort of essentially they have to sort of wait for that to turn around a little bit, or hope that the Tories um, score another own goal, which they do reliably do. Um, although, I mean, there is another... And it does express an underlying problem, which is that Labour have, have sort of got about as far as they can in terms of saying the kinds of things they would like to do. That is, making capitalism a bit nicer and fairer and easing the squeeze on people on middle yeah. low incomes. And what a lot of Labour people are now saying is what they really urgently need to start being able to say how they're going to do it. And they, yeah. they're going... They're all, they don't want to be sort of naked on the doorstep, as it were, and people say, well, that's fine. You say you'll do that. Well, the other guys say they'll do that too. So how are you going to do it? And that is a bit of a problem. But I wouldn't overstate it. I mean, there's been a bit of a narrowing in the polls, but the underlying structure of opinion polls has been pretty much the same for a very long time now, which is that about a third of people vote Conservative, pretty much regardless of what happens. Um, uh, more than that, say they'll vote Labour because Labour's core vote has been bolstered by angry refugees from the Lib Dems who are a bit lefty Um, and neither side is obviously looking like it's going to get a majority and that's kind of hung politics that's been stuck for a while yeah
0: well thanks very much Thank thank you interviews kieran Gillen about comics and in particular the marvel young avengers series
3: kieran you're an astonishingly prolific writer so i'm not even gonna try and list your whole output but what comics of yours do you think best sum up your career for the listeners
4: i think um you'll probably still have to go to phonogram which is my first indie work i did with jamie McKelvey, uh which is this cheerful burst of meaning of art to humans, and it's really used as an urban fantasy metaphor to explore that kind of stuff, so wantonly, incredibly over-the-top, potentious. Phonogram, um, the Singles Club, being the second and better of the two volumes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of gave birth to me as a the re- kind of the rest of my quote-unquote career. Um, in terms of like what the rest of my sort of more commercial stuff, it would be probably take, take an arc from Journey to Mystery, which is my kind of playful riff a uh, mockery of the Sandman in the Marvel Universe, based around a reincarnation of Loki. Um, mm. Take the Manchester Gods arc because that's only three issues, which is me basically turning Tony Wilson into the um, God of Manchester and lots of the kind of playful meta games.
3: Journey into Mystery was the time I realised that Kieran was probably my favourite comics writer because it it featured a sort of amalgam of Tony Wilson and Karl Marx fighting enemies called Eng- Engels literally uh, Frederick Engels. <laughs> Spelt the same way at the same time as he was writing an X Men comic in which the enemy was the British class system personified.
4: Yeah, I was about to say issue fourteen of my Uncanny X Men run is, uh, is this was one of my favourite one-off issues, which based on a sinister London, based around the British class system as a super villain, uh, and it's all kind of fired for a The whole thing's a very broad parody of crime uh, of which Dostoevsky was it? i completely forgot. No, it's from Underground. Duh. Yeah, yeah. The whole thing is a very obvious riff to anyone knows it. Uh, and that's probably it. They're probably they're probably the three best ones to grab me. Oh, and Young Avengers. Grab an issue of Young Avengers is what I'm doing with Jamie at the moment, which is us doing... Um, Jamie being Jamie McKelvey. Yes, Jamie, which is a, a kind of metaphor piled upon metaphor superhero comic. It's kind of against the current trend of uh, paramilitary literalism. But, you know, you could throw in an Uber with my World War Two thing, or you could throw in the forthcoming Free, which is a Spartan historical thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. They're probably the three major strands. I
3: mean, what would probably surprise our readers is, um, listeners on the podcast, um, is that what you're describing are superhero works. You know, you do most of your work currently in the superhero genre, and yet you're dropping Notes from the Underground. Uh, you're dropping Tony Wilson. This, this seems, I'm sure to people who don't read many superhero comics, like an alarmingly broad set of references. Do you think you stand out in that genre for doing that?
4: I don't the great thing about comics, or we say comics, and when we normally mean is like mainstream American comics. Mm. And comics is a is a is a medium much larger than what I'm talking about, and much, certainly much larger than what I do. But um, no, I, I think that the fact it a, has been an underground, and frankly, um, overlooked in a good way. In many ways, the fact that it's subcultural means that it's been used as a place to explore all these kind of slightly quirky viewpoints. And the fact that it's a very it's the world's purest visual. Narrative medium, essentially. Mm-hmm. The idea that, you know, me and you know, an artist writer sit, sit down and a month later you have a story and it's a very pure burst of vision, as opposed to television where immediately you're talking about money. You know, uh, <laughs> this is a. Abstractly, I'm playing on the same field as anybody else working in the medium. And that means that you get a quite pure vision of what some, someone is interested in.
5: Say hello to a new era of mental health care. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details.
4: And the fact that there's been so many people who've done that before. I mean, you go all the way back to the early days of Wonder Woman, this... The BDSM stuff, which yeah. everyone people goes about. But that's still a very pure burst of a, a kind of a quirky vision. And you go through to Morrison and all the British 80s people, and they're kind of throwing their obsessions through a genre filter, and that's kind of what I do, and it's kind of all I can really do. It's like, so I always talk about Warren Ellis. It's yeah. like Warren was the guy who, opposed to me, I quite like superheroes. Warren explicitly dislikes them, um, but he wrote a lot of them, and it was always a question of he clearly found something in this story which I've managed to attach to. My interest to. Mm. So, you know, he wrote about post-humanism and he was writing about politics and he was talking about authority and um, our relationships to authority. Um, and that's, that's the sort of the wideness of the genre, just allow a writer or an artist or whoever to sort of put a stamp on it, if, yeah. if that's your sort of thing, and it certainly is mine.
3: Something that, I mean, just the, the fact that there is a distinction between American comics, which can include a, a British creator like you working with a British artist like Jamie, um, on something set in Britain, and this, this broader comics world, that's that's a distinction which won't have come to many people. I mean, when we review comics at the New Statesman, we review them basically as graphic novels, books published by various people, some are superheroes, but that's not a distinction we make. Do you think it's one that readers outside of this small superhero niche see? Um, Is it one you think of? Do you think of yourself as working in the American comics tradition or just making comics?
4: I quite explicitly trying myself as working in the genre of comics is all just comics mm-hmm. and the most common question you get from somebody who is polite enough to realize there's something going on and mm-hmm. doesn't immediately understand there is a world of culture there but not really getting it it's like is it graphic novels or comics what do you call them <laughs> and it's um and it, that's what we laugh about you know but that's just people yeah. really just trying to work out what on earth to call it and it's just comics Com- you know graphics novel is a expression of comics And it's marketing, which is always bullshit. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You know, comics is the wider... You know, people will simstream manga and comics. Nothing. Mango is the word for comics. You know, these are exactly...
3: (laughs) um, Something that I find quite interesting is that what people who read American mainstream comics... Well, what people who read American comics call the mainstream seems to be getting quite far divorced from what the mainstream of comics is, is in the comics that people who don't read comics think. What what do you think of as the mainstream? Do you think you're writing in a niche, or do you think you know is, is Chris Ware still actually alternative? Is he main or are you mainstream?
4: I kind of came from a generation of creators like circa two. I mean, I only came into comics as an adult. Mm-hmm. I was re- wasn't really reading them as a teenager. Because uh, you started
3: writing video games. Yeah, I, sta- I
4: started doing what most British comic writers does, which is basically go to clubs and make out with people. <laughs> There's a kind of there is a divi- there seems to be a division between what the American writers do and the British writers do. Um, which is weird, social things, <laughs> weird. It, it, honestly, you just look at the, the sort of lineage, and I don't think it's fair quite as much, but it certainly was there once. Mm. Um, no, uh, we come to that generation of writers and artists who basically played around with the. I mean, obviously, the comics, the comics mainstream being dude in dude in top spandex is ludicrous. Yeah. It's, it's intrinsically ludicrous. The word mainstream does not mean that. Um, so I tend to like, I try to explicitly say the mainstream American superhero, you know, the mainstream co- superhero comics mainstream. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know you have to, I put the words in front of it, just try to make it stress. I'm not saying in any way this is mainstream. It is merely the mainstream, this weirdly niche. And so even the mainstream in comics, because you go to France or you go to Japan, you go to exactly. anywhere else, and uh, you get different genres selling much more. And even, frankly, in America, the amount which The Walking Dead is, you know, how many trades did The Walking yeah. Dead sold? That's by far the biggest selling trade and. The anglophone market, I would say. A
3: trade paperback being a collection of comics yeah. sold for the book industry. Basically.
4: Yeah. And it's selling ridiculously large amounts of stuff, and that's not, that doesn't involve superheroes, that involves yeah. zombies, which of course <laughs> is very different.
3: <laughs> exactly, and and so niche zombies. Yeah. But no, it's, it's just it's the intellectual.
4: What always bugged me about that is the intellectual shorthand of using mainstream. That people, mm. just because mainstream means superheroes, if you're working in comics, it immediately turns you into the ghetto sort of it. It's all very. Would you buy into that idea that comics are like this? And people say stuff like "death doesn't mean anything in comics." Yeah. What they actually mean is death doesn't mean anything in the mainstream superhero American comics. Exactly. You know, if I killed David Cole in Ferngram, it would mean a lot. Yeah. Um, and that kind of that kind of shorthand leads to intellectual flatulence. You know, it all becomes kind of bloated and just covered in shit. Would um, you ever
3: consider writing something outside that tradition?
4: Oh, I do. I mean, you know. Um. um with Phonogram, the fact that it would have been much easier for me to make it a more serious literary work. Mm. in the, And it was kind of me, my belief that pop music is kind of trashy and the fact it is both completely laughable and the most important thing in the world simultaneously. And that's why I wrote Phonogram as a genre book, okay. because genre simultaneously uh, is disreputable but enormously important. I wanted to make it kind of hard to take seriously. <laughs> uh, so it would have been easier to just mm. do it much more literary. Um, probably. I say that. <laughs> <laughs> I never did it, so it could have been much harder.
3: Thank you very much for your time, Nick.
6: I'm joined by Alex Hearn to talk about cyberbullying. Now, cyberbullying has existed for a good many years, since the days of MSN Messenger. I do remember a bit of a furor at the time <laughs> about this. But all of the anger, all of the ire at the moment seems to be focused on one website, Ask.fm. What is specific to this website that makes it so 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 dangerous? Mm.
2: Well, I mean,
3: firstly, of course, part of the reason why Ask.fm gets all the ire is, is a media-driven campaign. It's, it's the site that the Daily Mail decided to pick on, mm. and that's that. And the Daily Mail decided to pick on it due to uh, the suicide of one teenager mm. at the height of the discussion about online abuse and cyberbullying. So partially it is just bad luck on their part. But at the same time, there's some structural artifacts in Ask.fm that make it exceptionally well suited to uh, teenagers and kids who want to make other teenagers' lives hell. Um, It's a site that lets you ask anonymous questions of anyone. And that's not just typical internet anonymity where you can put in a fake name or anything. You can have a user account on it and essentially check a box saying, ask this question anonymously, which makes it very easy to flood Someone with abusive questions, and and they are questions. If you if you look at the sort of thing that teenagers regularly report getting from anonymous accounts, almost certainly run by other people they know. Yeah. They, they why are, did
6: you do so badly in that math test? Or why are you wearing that much, horrible pink much, shirt? Much, like, much I, I know I mean, you. Yeah. I know who you are. Much much worse. though of course. Mm. And the,
3: the classic thing about teens is that teens are not rated T for teen. Um, they, they like <laughs> the, the way teens abuse each other is not suitable for a family podcast. Sure. Um, but. The thing is, you, it, it makes it extremely easy to ask anonymous questions um, and do so in a way that you can still keep track of these anonymous questions you've asked. You don't have to make a separate an- anonymous account. You can use your same account for asking questions with your real name on it, being all friendly, and then check an anonymous box and slag off the very same person. At the same time, it's a question and answer format. You know, th- this is the nature of the site. You ask questions and you have an inbox filled up with asked questions. Um, what that means is that it makes it quite hard to ignore if 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 it's on twitter if it's on msn you can sort of close it and walk away come back later ask a friend you have to actively deal with every question you're asked you have to mark it as asked or delete and so again it means that if you're if you're being flooded by this you can leave the site entirely of course but there's social networks around that and it's it's wussing out so you kind of have to deal with it. You have to take every single thing and you kind of have to take it personally.
6: And how do they market this? What, when, you go, you know, when you go on these websites, there's always a video and a kind of very smiley version of how they see the site as being used. I mean, what, what is it supposed to be for?
3: Well, it's, it's sort of a... I mean, the easiest way to think of it is they kind of advertise it as a blogging platform for people who don't know what they want to blog about. Um, I mean, and that, that's not really true. But that's the closest way to link it to other services. So the the way they envisage it being used is a mixture of people answer the standard Ask.FM questions. So Ask.FM has, has sponsored questions. So sometimes you're asked, like, what's your favourite type of Coke, for instance? And sometimes you're asked, you know, what are your favourite bands? And it's just an excuse for people to write about themselves. At the same time, the idea is that people pin questions back and forth. And so it is kind of a public way of talking about your friends with your friends in a question answer-based format. But, and this is one of the problems, the anonymity is a selling point. The way Ask FM envisages it being used is someone anonymously going, Do you fancy anyone at school? And really hoping that they'll get the answer. And you know, all friendly and the kind of thing that we all imagine teens doing. And and they do, like it is used that way as well. It's just also used for
6: bullying. And I notice Mr. Cameron has um, taken his place in in the crusade. What what does mm-hmm. he think is going to happen?
3: Well, this is the thing, and this is where it always comes back to: is there anything that can be done? Obviously, fighting one specific site is relatively easy. You know, Cameron could quite simply tell Ask FM, "You need to put tools that work in place to deal with cyberbullying, and if you don't, we will investigate you and hold you liable for negligence leading to the harm of children." and you know, if, if the laws is under place to do that already, a moral panic like this makes it pretty easy to make the laws that would require that. That would, in the end, probably shut down AskFM because there isn't really anything they can do within the structure of their site to change that. Even turning off anonymous questions might help a bit, but fundamentally, the anonymous questions are what the site is popular for. Another company can come up and set it up. There's Facebook apps that will let you use Facebook that way. And if nothing else, you know, you can start making anonymous Twitter accounts and barraging people with that sort of abuse. It's tricky. Um, It's not helped by the fact that Ask.fm's founders are burying their head in the sand over this. They have given one press statement. They're doing no interviews. Um, Their sponsors are slowly pulling out, but they're not a particularly ad-heavy site. They're going for growth first and money later. So advertising pressure won't have the same effect on them as it did on Facebook. I mean, they're not even based in Britain. So Cameron has less power even than he does over sort of people with British offices. Yeah,
6: but him being seen to be irate about a thing which is uh, worrying many people is no bad move on well, his quite. part, even if he can't do anything. And we know how this sort of thing goes. Eventually
3: something will happen either at Ask.fm or in the Commons. The Daily Mail will declare victory over this vile website and the Odendum will move on to the next thing. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for
0: Today's podcast was presented by me, Caroline Crampton, with Raphael Baer, Kieran Gillen, Alex Hearn and Philip Morn. It was produced by me, edited by Philip Morn, and our theme music is taken from Devil with the Devil by the Underscore Orchestra, licensed under Creative Commons. More information and how to subscribe to our podcast feed can be found at newstatesman.com forward slash podcast. We'll be back next week.
1: There
4: is this big space of ungoverned disorder where nothing is being done and we're just kind of holding up our hands and going, well, don't know what we could do. I'm Jason
6: Pack. And I'm Alex Hall-Hall. And we're the hosts of Disorder. A brand new podcast from Goalhanger where we'll be connecting the dots using our own experiences
1: as well as talking to people at the forefront of global affairs. All seeking to work out Why are the world powers no longer coordinating as they once did?
3: The trouble is the United States, but also some European societies, are so divided.
0: How did we get here? The modern version of
4: the culture war in which the fight that matters is not the real one. It's about winning certain kinds of arguments online. What can we do to fix it? How do you repair disorder? It's by becoming a community. Search Disorder wherever you get
1: your podcasts.